Dropping a bombshell, a one-shot strike to destroy Mycoplasma bovis. 152,000 cows will be slaughtered. That's all the cattle on every single infected farm. Biosecurity teams are being dispatched to check for signs of a deadly tree disease at a staggering 800 sites across the North Island. Pahutakawa, Fijawa, Manuka and other native trees are under threat from myrtle rust. Kauri dieback disease. Some are labelling the disease Ebola for Kauri and say without drastic action the trees will be wiped out. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail, where have we got to with Mycoplasma bovis, Kauri dieback and myrtle rust? The government has thrown millions of dollars at trying to eliminate them and while there are some success stories... We've got a really rigid surveillance system in place now to make sure that we pick those herds up really, really quickly to stop it spreading and growing again. So no other country has ever tried or been successful in eradicating mycoplasma bovis. Others are disastrous. I felt like crying because all the Ramarama down that valley, every single one of them had myrtle rust in them and again they were dying. Every single one? Yep. So we haven't got a cure for that at the moment. An expert, Peter DeLang, says we can't keep our eyes off the ball. We've got an economy in trouble, and I get it, people are suffering. But our environment we depend on, and the more that we strangle it, it's like sitting in a tank and pulling out the oxygen. We are going to suffer if we don't do something. A kitty kitty tree nursery off limits as biosecurity officers respond to the first case of myrtle rust on the mainland. It was confirmed by the scientists last night. We've stood up a response there. Effectively, the nursery is on lockdown. The distinctive fungus is an invader no one wanted to see on our shores. It tends to attack the leaves and it actually shrivels up the leaves of the plant and they wither and die. It's been three years since myrtle rust was first found on mainland New Zealand. The disease is native to South America and was first recorded there in the late 1800s. It's now spread to many countries around the world. Peter DeLang is Unitech's Associate Professor in the School of Environment and Animal Science. He's also a part of the government-supported Beyond Myrtle Rust Research Programme. In the beginning, he hoped it would all blow over. Meaning that... Yeah, you know, something was happening, but our, but our plants are resilient and they'd bounce back. Mm. And I think the threat listing panel also, some of them felt, nah, you know, it's a bit of a beat up, it won't be too bad. But when I got down to Uyo in the southern side of Maunga Taranaki, uh, I got a fright. I actually was seeing, you know, three metre, four metre tall Ramarama dead or dying. Seedlings about a centimetre tall, right in the middle of the forest, dying. There was this idea that the rust would only affect the edges of our forest because it couldn't actually get into the interior. Mm. Uh, well, that's a fallacy. The rust gets in everywhere. And then what we were seeing there as well was it was shifting already into some of the rata, little metrosideris diffuse, a very small rata with white flowers. I had this rust expert with me, Dr. Eric McKenzie, and he said, oh, look, it's infected. And it's like, oh, my God, you know. In February this year... I actually March, I had a student with me and we were down in the Awaroa Valley, uh, sort of my uh, Turanga Waiwai, if you like, where, where I come from, mm. in the western Waikato, and I felt like crying because all the Ramarama down that valley, every single one of them had myrtle rust in them and, again, they were dying. Every single one. Yep. So we haven't got a cure for that at the moment. The tricky thing about myrtle rust is that it's spread by the wind, so trying to contain it is almost impossible. 
Damarama trees, or Lophomyrtus, have been the worst affected to date, followed by Rata and Pohutukawa. Only, what, 15 years ago, I would have laughed at you if you said, oh, it's going to be a threatened species, you know. It's so common. And, uh, well, it's actually dying, and we don't have a good way of storing its seed. A lot of really good research has been done, particularly from our staff at Otari down in Wellington in the Botanic Gardens, uh, and they have found that there is a little bit of viability in stored seed, but it doesn't last very long. So well, well, what are our choices? Cryogenics? Storing seed, uh, uh, storing seed or uh, tissue and trying to see if we can propagate the plant at some future date when we've found a cure for myrtle rust. That's pretty much about it. Really? So those are our only options? Well, we, we, can, we can spray. We know that you can spray trees with fungicides, but there's collateral damage in that. I mean, you've got a tree in the forest, but the tree is an ecosystem in its own right. You know, it's got all sorts of things that depend on it, that live on it. Some of them are bad, but they're natural. Some of them are really important. We don't tend to study common species unless they're annoying. We study rare species, uncommon species. So we have a common plant that's suddenly in trouble, and we discover that we don't know what lives on it. We don't know what the cohabitants are and how important they are. Some of those cohabitants might actually help prevent myrtle rust actually attacking the host. Um, We don't know. So you potentially are going to lose an entire ecosystem within an ecosystem, if you like, if you lose Ramarama. I've had a student working on, and so Scion, they've been working in tandem on what lives on Lophomyrtus. And we've got, you know, getting on to about 300 different kinds of lichen, fungi, liverwort, moss, blue-green algae, the list goes on. We're not even looking yet at bacteria, biofilms, those kinds of things. And Scion's found a phenomenal amount of invertebrates. But in that negative story, there's a good one. Mm. We've found maggots. Uh, Scion picked these up first, uh, and then we found them at Awaroa Valley. And these tiny little maggots that were orangey-pink in colour. And uh, what it transpires is that they are a group of midge larvae, uh, small like fungus gnats, flies, very tiny, that actually eat rust. And they're not wow. native to New Zealand, but they must have arrived here naturally and they're eating the arednospores, the yellow spores you see, and hopefully the, the black teleospores of myrtle rust. So there's kind of like a, a potential biocontrol, but whether it's actually going to have a huge impact on controlling myrtle rust, we don't know. But hey, fingers crossed, you always got to be positive on this, you know. Yeah, and, and that is quite surprising, the unlikely saviour, a maggot. <laughs> yeah, a maggot, yeah. But, you know, um, New Zealand, as we're learning uh, quite uh, quite poignantly now with COVID, we're not isolated from the rest of the world. We are an island, but we're downwind. And anything that goes on in Australia in a biological sense that has the ability to disperse, we're going to get it. Our flora and our fauna is by and large derived from Australia. So rusts come here frequently Naturally, even though they might be introduced in Australia, they naturally cross the Tasman. But the good news is that we also have some of their pathogens that also hike a, hike a lift on, on the wind across the Tasman. And, mm. you know, maybe this is what's happening. It could be that this, this little fly has always been here, and it's just that thing that because you don't know what lives on something, you don't know what you don't know. Mm, yeah. And when you start looking... You suddenly find things. So it could have always been here, but we've just never noticed it. But the good news is we we do have this little maggot, and it's eating myrtle rust spores. What has 
the government kind of been doing in the space? Because when when we first discovered it, the MPI kind of came in blazing, and there there was a lot of work. Now it's news about it as well has really died down. Well, of course, we've got COVID to deal with. And, I mean, politics, uh, what is it, a week is a long time in politics? I can't even remember the classic quote, but you, but, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, when Myrtle Rust arrived, it was very topical. But as much as I admire MPI, and I think MPI get a really hard time for their failures, we never actually glorify their successes, which is disappointing. They're on a hiding to nothing trying to control Myrtle Rust, and I think they realised that very quickly. What we really needed to do was to channel money into finding what it does in ecosystems, how it attacks its host, is there anything that will attack it, and potentially a biocontrol or even a biovaccine. And the government has injected money into that, but it's not going to be short-term, it needs to be long-term. And the Australian lesson we don't want to follow when it first turned up in Australia, they got, but like MPI, they all got excited when they realised what it was going to do. They went out guns blazing, and then it didn't seem to do much. Yeah. And so they stepped back. And 10 years later, they are facing already one species in the genus Rhodomyrtus is going to go extinct, is their prediction. Many more will follow. The forest is dying, and there's not a lot they can do. So we have that advantage, sadly, that we can see what happened there and we've got their expertise to tap on. What we need to ensure, however, and here I get very worried about the polls at the moment, with the government, we need to ensure that the incoming government takes this seriously. And, and I'm not dissing, we've got an economy in trouble and I get it, people are suffering. But our environment we depend on and the more that we strangle it, it's like sitting in a tank and pulling out the oxygen we are going to suffer if we don't do something. Myrtle rust is one of many diseases that's now afflicting New Zealand, which we need the research, we need the confidence in people, we need to get out there and do things. And I mean, the good news is things are being done, but it's long-term, and what I would hate to see is uh, the tap turned off completely. Mm. And, and that's my fear. Uh, at the moment, we've got a unique government, we've got a coalition and let's be honest, the most effective Minister of Conservation we have ever had since it was dreamt up in the 1970s is Green Party. If Labor governs alone, who in Labor is going to take that, that portfolio? And are they going to be as good? That's my fear as, as an environmentalist and conservationist. And it's not just myrtle rust that the country is battling. Cody Dieback has been making headlines for years. Cody dieback is a fungus-like disease, also known as a type of pathogen, or Phytophthora. Peter DeLang says previous research suggests not only that it's native to New Zealand, but it's been here for hundreds of years. There is evidence that our Cody trees were dying of some kind of disease in the 1950s. The late Dr Frank Newhook studied this. He recognised that there was a Phytophthora. He picked it up in a number of places, including the Waitakere Ranges, long before 2006. He just didn't have the right name on it. And there's even some evidence that it was in Waipo in the 1920s because they used to bleed the kauri trees to get the gum out of them, and they kind of outlawed it because they noticed that these isolated trees were dying. The symptoms they described, however, are identical to what Cody dieback does, and some of the trees that were dying, there was actually no evidence that they'd ever been uh, gum-tapped by anybody. So we also know, although it's sort of kept somewhat quiet and I don't understand why, 
that uh, sequencing data suggests that the Kauri dieback at, 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 as a minimum has been in New Zealand for 600 years, but probably a lot... 600 yeah, years? A lot longer than that would be my guess. So we need to recognise that we're dealing with a native disease, and I stress yet again that the paper where they described it, they used every word but endemic. Only found in New Zealand, only found on Kauri, only found, only found is another way of saying it's endemic. However, it cannot be denied that something has happened, assuming this is a native disease endemic to New Zealand, mm. and Kauri therefore has lived with it for a very long time. Something's happened to make it more virulent. Peter DeLang says there are all sorts of pathogens in the forest, some which have been introduced. And it could be that the Cody dieback pathogen is mixing with others and becoming worse. And then there's human and animal activity. That's what a lot of councils across the country have tried to target. Extensive closures and enforcement patrols are proposed for Auckland's regional parks to try to get Cody dieback disease under control. Fears over the spread of Cody dieback have prompted the permanent closure of 10 walking tracks in the Bay of Islands. The pigs also spread this disease, don't they? And I mean, certainly we've been seeing reports recently of people who breed pigs and set them free in forests so that hunters are able to uh, to get in there and have a shot at them. So what should be done about the pigs? I remain bitterly disappointed that no real effort has been made to control the pig population. And I think we, we are kidding ourselves to say humans spread it, nothing else does. We know pigs spread it. And whether they spread it by, by 7% or whatever, I don't really care. They spread it and they are more effective at spreading it than we are. So if you want to control this, you've got to control pigs. Councils have also been setting up shoe cleaning stations and putting in gravel and boardwalks in an attempt to stop the spread. But Peter DeLang is sceptical. Some of it I really feel is cosmetic. Some of it I think is well-intended. But let us not forget, Cody Forest is not just about Cody. And there's a whole raft of other plants and animals that occur in that ecosystem that are actually more threatened than Cody currently is. And a lot of those like disturbance, so they grow along track sides. When you put in a Rolls-Royce track with gravel and everything else, are people actually walking those tracks first and seeing what's there and making the council aware so they don't destroy it with their best intentions, of course. They don't mean to destroy things. I think of Mount Donald McLean where they found Tismia, which is a, a very small, uh, odd-looking plant re distantly related to orchids. that is like a little red lantern that pops up in the leaf litter. No one's been back to see whether the track widening actually eliminated that population, but it was found right on the side of the track. Sure, you could argue it might be somewhere else, but we don't know. So I'd like to see botanists employed to walk tracks to check, and maybe entomologists as well, to check before they put in these new tracks, not putting in new tracks to try and fit an agenda to appease people and in the process causing even more damage. Right, just to, to have that cosmetic, yeah, we're doing something, but actually yep. it destroys more. And I mean, I don't mean any disrespect to Auckland Council. They are, they are in a really rock-and-a-hard-place situation. And it's very easy for me to say, oh, that's what you should do, because it's not my budget, yep. and I don't have to deal with the politics. 
And to be fair to councils, people have been calling for more central government leadership. Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor first announced the government was creating a national pest management plan in 2017. He said it would look at mandatory hygiene practices, consistent regulations across the country and, importantly, access to funding. While money has been put towards different Cody dieback initiatives, we've yet to see a plan, something that Peter Lang says is crucial. We listed Cody as a threatened species, something I never wanted to do. But unlike the example about myrtle rust, where we kind of took a precautionary principle, we now actually had data that showed a decline, mm. and that data showed that if we did nothing, the decline would get worse. So therefore... Cody has moved on to being a threatened species. That's alarming. Iconic species, but it's also an ecosystem engineer. I mentioned before that Cody Forest has a whole host of other plants and animals that occur in there, and they basically occur in there because of Cody. So they need to get that strategy moved forward, and they need to do it quickly, but the problem they've got is they also need to do it well. Myrtle rust and Cody dieback are both diseases that, so far, we've had little success to celebrate. But Mycoplasma bovis is a different story. It was a massive wrecking ball to farmers when it first hit the country. It's been terrible for us. I can't do it. This is the personal toll of knowing the fate is sealed for these cows. I'm sorry, I can't do it. And their unborn calves. Mm, it's been... Five months of hell. Embovis was first detected in New Zealand in 2017. Dr John Roche is the Chief Science Advisor at the Ministry for Primary Industries and he says Embovis makes cows sick and there's no cure. It can affect their inner ears, causing a similar type of infection, which causes the animal to just walk around in circles. And it's a bacteria that is highly resistant to the vast majority of antibiotics that are available, so it's largely untreatable. So, yeah, if we could get rid of it, it was really a good idea to get rid of it. I dealt with Mycoplasma bovis on dairy farms in the United States, for example, and it was, it was really a tough situation where you had otherwise healthy animals one morning turning up with a disease that you couldn't get rid of. What's worse is that embovis can lie dormant and undetected in a cow, flaring up only in times of stress, such as calving. There's no risk to people who eat meat or dairy from stock infected with embovis, but sick cows are an animal welfare issue. So the government decided to eradicate the disease, and that has been a massive undertaking. Eradication means all cows on infected farms are culled. Farms are then disinfected and left for 60 days. Then the farmers can begin restocking. They'll be under constant surveillance and testing. No one could guarantee that even with all of these measures, Embovis could be kicked to the curb. But now, three years later, of the 250 properties that have been found with Embovis, John Roche says only three remain active cases. It is a huge success story from a disease eradication perspective. A number of, of farmers, you know, were badly affected in the early days of this. Um, it had travelled a significant uh, a distance by the time it was first discovered. And so, you know, when you mount a biosecurity campaign of this size and, and, and try and get out ahead of a disease, not everything is done correctly. And so, you know... Um, Twelve months ago, I undertook a review of the program um, inside of MPI 
We made some significant changes. And uh, what you're what, what you're talking about now is the, the success uh, from that. You know, if we compare this with this time last year, um, we've got 84% fewer farms currently uh, infected than we had this time last year. We've got 80% less farms under movement controls um, than we had this time last year. Um, but what we, what I do want uh, your your listeners to be uh, aware of, though, is it's, it's it's highly likely that we still have a few of these herds around the country that have Mycoplasma bovis, and we've got a really rigid surveillance system in place now of the dairy and the beef cattle industry to make sure that we pick those herds up really really quickly to stop it spreading and and growing again. Um, so. Yes, I think by any measure of a disease eradication effort, this is a huge success story. No other country has ever tried or been successful in eradicating mycoplasma bovis. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Peter DeLang and Dr John Roche. Matewa. Te